Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. Good morning, Abbott Loop. It's, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Is it still raining outside? Yeah, a little bit. All right. Well, I want to start by giving some appreciation and showing honor to Pastor Josh for the installment on the Roman series that we've been having this summer. As we're closing today, can we just give him a round of applause? It's been an excellent series. It's been so rich and edifying, and I want to say thank you to Pastor Rick for teaching in it. It's been awesome, and I want to encourage you, church, if you haven't got all the messages in the series, download those on podcasts, listen to them, and you'll grow in your spirit. It's been that great. So before we close in um, Romans, I want to turn uh, to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to look at some of what we've talked about um, last week. So, Romans 8, 31, what should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who shall ever be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. For who? For us. Hey, that is good. These are some of the privileges of belonging to Christ. I want to highlight them for you because Paul asks a series of questions to highlight the privileges of belonging to God. So verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? And this is what Josh was talking about last week. If God, not only did God foreknow us, he chose us and predestined to become us to become like him. He clothed us with his righteousness and gave us his glory. And he gave us rights to be co-heirs with Christ. And he gives us the powerful advantage of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Right? All right. Verse 32. Won't he give us everything else we need? If he did not even spare his own son, his very best, won't he give us everything else that we need? If he can hang the stars in the sky and make sure that the sun rises and sets every day, won't he take care of us, his own children? If he dresses the lilies the way that he does, if he takes care of the birds, can't he take care of his own kids? I think so. I think he will give us everything that we need exactly when we, when we need it. Maybe not what we think we need, but exactly what we need when we need it. This might be my favorite one. Listen to this. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? How dare you? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? You know, there is an accuser, and I want to tell you this morning that your accuser is not your ex-husband. Your accuser is not your ex-wife. It's not your boyfriend, and it's not the bully in high school. Your accuser is much worse than that. He comes before the throne room of God daily trying to disqualify you before God and steal your righteousness, and he tries to assault you on your identity and your destiny. Who dare accuse us? Do you hear the protection even in, in the voice of that? I hear Father God when I, hear, when I read that. And I think us as a church, we need to get a little bit of um, tenacity in the way that we perceive ourselves. Who dare accuse us who God has chosen as his own? God has chosen me. God has chosen you. And he has called you as his own. 
Verse 34, who then will condemn us? No one can condemn us. The law condemns man for his sin, and if we are outside of Jesus, then we stand condemned. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we stand not condemned anymore because we are in Christ Jesus, and sin is dealt with. So we're no longer condemned. No one can accuse us. There's not an accusation that can stick onto us in the court of heaven because we are the righteousness of Christ. We are now royalty. The answers are so simple. They're so simple and yet so wonderful, and the implications are just like, if we could get our heads wrapped around all the privileges that we have in Christ Jesus, we'd be a force to be reckoned with. We, and if these privileges, these first four, don't get you pumped up, you might need to check your pulse, number one, but I think that today's passage will. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read today's passage. Jesus, I thank you. I think that you... I thank you that you're present. I thank you that you're active. I thank that you I thank you that you're not passive, God. And I ask Lord Jesus for every person in this room, no matter where we've come from or what we've done, where we stand in our opinion of you this morning, God, that we would let those things fall off in Jesus name. And that we would be open to receiving a new thing from you, God. We would be open to receiving a fresh revelation of you, Jesus, a fresh perspective of who you are and who you say you are, especially about you, Holy Spirit, that we would have a revelation of how you feel about us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're wrapping up Romans 8. I get the last, like, four verses in Romans chapter 8, and it might be the best verses in the whole Bible. (laughs) It's so awesome. But this is the Father's heart towards us. It's like his heartbeat expressed like perfectly towards us. Listen to this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, are persecuted or hungry or destitute or endangered or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are being killed every day. We are being like sheep, slaughtered. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither life nor death, neither angels or demons, neither our fears of today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Does that get you pumped? I love it. And here, Paul is asking another question that every heart in all of humanity longs to know the answer to. Can anything separate me from his love? And I think that begs the question that when we give our hearts to Jesus, we always are curious. Can anything take it away? Would he love me still if? Can anything create distance between the love of God and me? That word separate means to depart from, to vacate, to create space between or to divide. Can anything put distance between the love of God and me? Can anything cause him to depart from me or to vacate this relationship he has with me? Once I have chosen to put my faith in him and believe in him, And every time I hear this question, I think of my kids, like, immediately. I have four kids. And I I hear their voices in my head. Mom, would you still love me if... Mom, would you still love me if I was mean to you? Mom, Mom, 
Mom, would you still love me if I broke your favorite vase? Mom, what if I, what if I ran away? Would you love me then? Mom, would you like me? Would you love me if my face looked like this? You know, every single kid does that. They all make the face, right? And the kids instinctively know. That they're like, I need to know, where are the boundaries of your love, Mom? How far can I push you, Mom, before you're going to say, no, I'm not going to love you if you do that. What if I'm bad? What if I don't perform good enough for you? What if I'm ugly? Are you going to love me still? And they want to know the conditions and the terms on which they need to fulfill to make sure that you still love them. Or is your love going to be constant and secure always? Are they going to be secure in you? They try to figure it out. And I would say this. Before the creation of the world, God loved you. He considered what it would mean, just like a new parent. He would, he would count the cost of what it would be like to have a child. He would consider what it might become, who they might become. Just like a dad imagines, oh, I wonder if they're going to grow up and become a doctor. Are they going to be, if we all think our kids are going to be like the next genius or something. But I think, I think God thinks the same way about us. He counts the cost, and like a new father, he imagined the joy that you would bring him, the delight he would take in you, and that you would become like him. Because don't we all look at our kids and we think, oh, they're like me, right? Then we're like, oh my gosh, I wish you weren't so much like me. (laughs) But we take so much pleasure in that, and this is the father's heart towards us. This is the father's heart towards you, past, present, future. His thoughts, his motives, his intentions for you are all answered in verse 35. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of Christ. Before the creation of the world, he loved you and he knew you and he loved you. (laughs) Currently, as you are, exactly in the condition or the state that you're in, he loves you and he knows you and he loves you. His intentions and his thoughts towards you, his motives towards you. There is nothing gray or like hidden from you. He loves you. And this is not a Sunday school type of lesson. Jesus loves you. No, this is the most important revelation of your entire life is to know that you are loved. It is not, we have oversimplified. It is the most beautiful truth that we can wrap our minds around it, that we are loved by him. It is the foundation of our identity. It is the start of our destiny. It's to know that we are loved and we're first his children. No matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, he loves you. God's love has no prerequisites, no conditions or terms on which you have to fulfill. There's, it's not like it's a pan of brownies and there's only so much of it to go around. We're not fighting to get a slice of his love. It's endless. And I believe that Paul can say that nothing will separate us from God's love is because Christ is alive. He didn't die. He's alive. And he's still loving us right now. He's at the right hand of the Father, sitting in heaven, interceding and ruling for us and mediating for us right now on our behalf. And so the scales are tipped in our favor. Just as Josh was preaching last week, the game is rigged. The game is fixed in our favor. Yet again, we have two intercessors on our behalf. We have Jesus in heaven sitting on the right hand of the Father in the seat of honor, pleading and ruling on our behalf. Then we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, praying the perfect will of God for us. Uh, Does it get any better than that? No. 
No, we have two intercessors on our behalf. And I, when I think about all of that he's done to put the odds in my favor, it's like he's saying the pressure's off. Pressure's off. You don't have to be afraid of failing. You don't have to be afraid of measuring up. I take delight in you. I take delight in you. It's my pleasure to see you go and journey through this life. I take delight in you. This whole chapter shows that the complete Godhead is at work for us on our behalf. Father God is for us. Jesus is for us. The Holy Spirit is for us. And I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like Mr. Enthusiastic. He loves to brag upon you. He loves to just tell you about who you are in Jesus, all the things that you could be in Jesus. He's your biggest encourager, your biggest fan. He's Mr. Enthusiastic, the Holy Spirit. So we are in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is in us, and they're talking to us about who we are in them, and they're talking to God about who we are, and they're interceding on our behalf, and it's like it just goes around and around and around. Isn't that amazing? Come on, does that not leave you feeling supported and encouraged and backed up? You have the whole Godhead on your team. On your team, because they love you. And that is the starting place. The starting place is love. And when the Apostle Paul wrote this, when he wrote this chapter, when he wrote these verses, he had been facing grueling times. He had been facing rejection from friends and persecution from the government. He had spent many months of his life in an isolated prison cell. And even if we look back in his past, Paul was the guy who was trying to wipe out all the Christians, right? So he, he had been through some stuff. He had a past, a record that he could have held against himself that would have kept him disqualified. But despite all of those things, despite the circumstances of his life, despite his past, despite his present, or even his future, Paul had discovered that nothing, he discovered this vital truth, that nothing could separate a believer from God's love. And Paul goes on to list like 17 different things in this section that seemingly would separate us from God's love or, or absolutely seem contrary to God's love. It says, does it mean we no longer, or he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or endangered or threatened to death? And I think he, he lists these things because oftentimes as believers, we can feel like life is just out to get us, right? We can be overwhelmed by the worries and concerns of this life. We can feel weighted down by the responsibilities of it all and that we're not going to do enough, that we're not going to be enough, that I don't have all that I need, that my relationships have failed, that people leave me and abandon me, that if I can't even hold a relationship together, if my kid won't even talk to me, if my husband won't even look at me, how am I supposed to be loved by God? If you've been told by all the people in my life that I'm not worthy, that I'm not smart enough, how can God see me as somebody worthy of affection and love? If all my friends betray me and gossip about me behind my back, can God still love me? Is his love really near to me? When, I, when the mistakes of my past are plaguing my mind and they're being held up like a mirror and they're saying, you're not qualified? Who are you to do anything for God? 
you're so insignificant. You're so unimportant. You're just a stay-at-home mom. Come on, you didn't finish high school. You're not going to do anything. Come on, your wife already left you. You're not going to do anything. Your business isn't succeeding. And the enemy comes and he comes and he comes and he accuses and he gets in our mind and he takes us out. He plants seeds of doubt there. We feel so confused and we make a list of accusations against ourselves, and then we call into question, how does God, how can God love me? I have no special skills. I have no special qualities that make me unique. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm not smart. I'm not influential enough. We tell ourselves this and we make a list of accusation, a record of wrongs that we hold against ourselves to disqualify us from the love of God, from the destiny that God has called us. And this is the same trick that the enemy uses in the garden with Adam and Eve. He comes and he plants doubt in our minds about who we are and what God says about us. Come on, if the enemy can come in and he can cause you to question where you stand with God, the foundation of it, that he loves you, that you're his child. Just take these sunglasses of doubt. View life through this lens of doubt. He, is he really good? Are you really the righteousness of Christ? That doesn't look so righteous to me. Really? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? I feel like you're feeling a little condemned. When our hearts condemn us, Come on, when we're feeling guilt and shame and condemnation and then we get a little side of, you suck. Come on, this is how our mind works. We're already feeling terrible and then we also condemn ourselves. The enemy just wants to come in there and plant doubt because if he can rob, if he can rob you by placing doubt and he can take your inheritance, if he can get you to look through a lens of doubt and cause you to see, question where you stand with God, he can rob you of your inheritance. He can steal your joy. He can undermine your authority. He can erode your identity. And he can take you out of the game. And so much so that you won't realize that the odds are stacked in your favor. Take for granted all the things that God has put to take the pressure off of you. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you to pray the perfect will of God. So that you have everything for life and godliness if we just access it. If we just get a little bit tenacious about who we are. Who dare accuse me? Who God has called his own? But the answer is found in verse 35. No, despite all of these things. All of these things. All the trouble. All the calamity. All the adversity. All the persecution. Whether I go hungry. Whether I have enough. Whether I can pay my bills or not whether the money is coming in, whether he loves me or he doesn't love me. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ, who loved us. For I am persuaded and I remain convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You see all these things that he says, all of these things. He lists two lists, and in them it reaches all the realms, the physical, the material, the spiritual, the invisible, the eternal. And these things, yes, they can come and they can cloud our vision with doubt. They can come and be discouraging and cause us to be hopeless, and they can be painful. But they're also the part of 
all these things that work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according. They're also part of the same things that will sanctify us and make us like him. And I believe that Paul could say that he was persuaded and that he remained convinced because God proved it to Paul. Paul could say that he's persuaded and that he remained convinced because Paul had a deep and intimate connection with the Lord. He communed with him often. We know from previous writings in the Bible that Paul said to the disciples, I speak in tongues more than any of you, right? He was spending time in the Holy Spirit all the time. He was depending on God, leaning into the Spirit, right? And so when Paul Paul was convinced because he was desperate for God and God kept on proving it to him time after time after time, he would come through for him. Because Paul would put it out on the line. And I want to challenge us this today, church, that if we want to be convinced, if we want to be persuaded that God loves us and nothing can separate us from the love of God, we have to press in to the Holy Spirit. We have to press into the things of God so that when we spend time in his presence, we will be convinced because he will come through for us. When our relationships are suffering, when our mental self-talk in our head is negative, we start to repeat the things that God says about who we are, rather than this negative self-talk. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am his beloved, and he is mine. He takes pleasure and delight in me. Who dare accuse me who God has chosen as his own? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am not condemned. I don't suck. I'm important, I'm valuable, I'm seen, I'm loved. He sees you and he loves you. He sees the circumstances of your life. They're not a mystery to him. His love is a present, active, not passive type of love. If God says it's so, who are we to say maybe, maybe not? Despite our failures perceived or real, despite our insecurities of how we are made, if God says he loves you, who are we to say maybe not? Who is anyone else to say that maybe he doesn't? And we have to know this, not just in our head. We have to know this in our heart that we are loved. We have to know it through experience through experience, by getting in those places with the Holy Spirit, by getting in those places in the presence of God, by putting our life before him and asking, show me, convince me, persuade me, Holy Spirit, because I don't feel loved. I don't feel valuable. I don't feel like your daughter. I don't feel like your son. I feel disqualified. Allow him to come into those places with you, and you will find him so tenderly in those places, convincing you otherwise. Nobody can preach this into your heart. Nobody can convince you otherwise. You have to taste it personal because when you taste the love of God, you will never be the same again. There's nothing sweeter on this planet, on this whole earth, that tastes as good as the love of God. No human love can, no human love can compare. It's the sweetest of all love. I want you to go back with me to verse 35. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us. All of these things, despite all of these things, the calamity, the adversity, the discouragement, the hopelessness, whatever you're facing, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours in Jesus Christ who loved us. 
Look, we are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are not just gaining the victory. We already have it and we're taking the spoils. Church, we're not waging a battle hoping to come out victorious in this lifetime. We already have overwhelming victory in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11 says, You should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God. Alive to God through Christ Jesus. The battle that we're waging anymore isn't over sin. What we feed or what we focus on will expand. It'll grow. So if we focus on our sin and we strive to be perfect, that's what's going to take up all of our intention, right? But all the battles have already been won. Your sin nature is dead. We're not battling against the law, trying to measure up anymore. We're not holding up a ruler's stick saying, am I going to be perfect like Christ is perfect? No. We're not going to be able to fulfill those things, but we don't have to because he did it for us. The battle isn't being waged over there. We're not trying to do sin management. We're not trying to even try to glorify ourselves more by forcing ourselves to produce fruit to become more like him. But how often do we stop and we think about the glory that we already have? Because Romans 8.30 says, And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So I want to show you a visual aid that might help you understand the glory that's already in you. And I have to give credit to my pastor, Josh, because he's a brilliant man. And he helped me make up this visual aid so that we could see isn't it great? He's the most creative person I know. Okay, so the glory is already in us. Let's make sure everything is right. Do you see the glory? Okay, can you see the glory? There's already a measure. It's in there. The ultimate of God's purposes is to glorify man, to bring out his glory, to release the glory of God through us to the world, to use us to partner with him so that the whole world would know that he lives and that he loves and that he saves. So when we spend time in his presence, when we spend time connecting with the Holy Spirit, the glory begins to get brighter. You see it growing? You guys see it getting brighter underneath all of that? So as we spend time with him and as he reveals things to us and as he talks to us about who we are and what we used to believe about ourselves. We, you don't need that habit anymore to cope with life. That negative self-talk starts to begin to align with the words that God says about you. And you come into agreement with him. And it's not striving it's not performing. It's not forcing. But the Bible tells us that yet whatever we suffer right now is nothing compared to the glory that God will reveal to us later. For all of creation awaits an eager expectation for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. You see, God uses all of these things, the struggles and the temptations and the, and the adversity and the challenge of life to teach us who we are and who he is for us. So that when we are underneath it all, when we're buried underneath it all, when we link up with his Holy Spirit and we take him at his word, when we can go through difficult things in this life and we have our minds renewed 
So that when these things start to fall off, even though we're facing the same things the world is facing, but we don't partner with that same thinking, his glory is revealed. His glory is revealed. And this thing just gets turned up so bright that the world knows that he, the world will know his name, that the world will know that he loves and that he lives and that he saves and that he's good and that he loves them, that he's not angry at them. Until there's just no more lies in our head, until sin isn't the thing that we're constantly focusing on, that the church is not crippled anymore by shame because of our sin and they hide and they don't come when they feel rejected by the church because they've been living in sin. Sin. But they love Jesus. <laughs> yes, we need to have repentant hearts, but we also need to be a community that accepts people. And we need to teach them how to access his glory. To grow his glory <laughs> inside of them. So that shame cannot take them out. I long to be a part of a generation who has had a revelation of how much they're loved by God. That they would learn to walk in, that they would learn to partner with and agree with their identity in Christ. That we would rise up into our right place as sons and daughters, beloved, the bride of Christ. That we would not be ashamed of who we are anymore. That we would know that nothing would separate us from the love of God, no matter the number of times that we've blown it, no matter how long we've spent running away from him or judging him even. We hold it against ourselves even when we think he's so kind, he's too kind, he's too merciful. How can I come and take advantage of that? How can I come now that I've been so many years of saying I'm against church, I don't want to be, have anything to do with the church, whatever. He still loves you. No matter how hopeless you felt, he still loves you. No matter who leaves you, he still loves you. His love is always there for you. It's a never giving up, always and forever kind of love. Listen, today, every, I just, if we can have just everybody in this room close your eyes, I just feel like God's love Just wait on the Holy Spirit. I just feel like there's deep pits of like pain. And nothing's been able to penetrate those places of pain in your life. It's overwhelming, it's gut-wrenching, it's ugly, it's like the, but God's love is there. And he's coming, it's like a release, he wants to give you a release from that this morning. As he enters into those places that you think, nobody could love me here. So much shame has filled that space. So much self-hatred has filled the, that space. I believe there's people in the room who have struggled with eating disorders and self-harm. And God's love wants to come and fill that place.
Because the Lord knows you and he loves you. He knew you before the creation of the world. He, he knew you at your worst. He knows all the days of your life, every day from the beginning to the middle to the end. He knows all of them and he still loves you. You can't run, you can't outrun God's love. Maybe you're here today and you've never known a love like this. I invite you to give your life to Jesus right now, wherever you are. There's only one thing in the entire universe that could separate you eternally from God's love, and that is not confessing your sin and that you need him, that you need a savior. It's the refusal of his love, his redeeming love. It's simple. Wherever you are, if you haven't accepted Jesus, it's just simple. Admit that you're a sinner, that you believe in Jesus, that he paid that price for your sins so that you could be free. You confess with your mouth that he's God and that you believe. If that's you this morning, if you just raise your hand, I would love to pray with you. I see your hand in the back. If you would pray with me, church, Jesus, I'm in need of you. I believe you gave your life for me because you loved me. I believe you are God. Come and fill me now with your Holy Spirit and fill me with your everlasting love. This morning, if you are um, just needing a refresh, of God's presence. I want to invite you to come down and receive prayer. I believe there are some words that our prayer team will have for you this morning, but there is just an encouragement that God wants you to invite him into those spaces of adversity. Invite him into those places where you feel so easily abandoned. Invite, invite him into those places where you're hurting and you feel lonely and you feel unworthy and you feel insignificant and let the Holy Spirit tell you who you are once again, that you belong to him, that he loves you, that he adores you, that his affection is for you. Don't leave here this morning just thinking this is another Sunday, and I know that Jesus loves me. Get a revelation of his love for you. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your love. We never want to take for granted your love, God. Your love is the most powerful force in all of the world. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love us. Thank you, Father God, that you love us, that your heart is for us and that you're not against us, that you are not angry at us, that you're not a harsh, harsh father, but that you're merciful and kind and compassionate. Thank you that you delight in us and take pleasure in us, God. Thank you that you call us your own. I pray for the church right now, Lord, that you would help us in our weakness, help us where we don't understand who we are in you, that we would begin to rise up into our rightful place in you, Jesus, that we would rise up into being sons and daughters, that we would rise up as the beloved of God, that we would accept the truth about ourselves and we would come into alignment with what you say about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good word. Hey, church, will you stand up with me? Let's worship. Thank you, Mariah.
Let's just begin to worship. We're going to, before we leave, we're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to do something in our life. So I encourage you, come down. If you want prophetic word or prayer, uh, come down to our prayer team here in the front. The altars are open for you to worship. But let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's get that, that security in knowing that nothing can shift the way God loves you, right? He made this glory happen. You didn't do it. Just let him turn it up, right? Time with him. Let him turn it up. Father, we love you. We bless your name. God, we exalt you today. We just give our hearts and worship to you, Father. We ask that there would be nothing in our minds, that we could see nothing in our minds that could ever separate us from you. Lord, that we would see the truth is that it is just fixed. You fixed the deal. You rigged it in our favor. Thank you, God. Thank you for your great love for us. Will you begin to manifest and reveal your love in greater ways? God, will you just peel off those things that aren't, that are dead to us? God, that we just begin to live like they're dead, separated from those things so that your glory will remain, your glory will shine in and through in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.